Kansas City. And so on his way to Kansas City, he makes friends with this guy played by John Candy, who is overly happy and overly wanting to be his friend, to be his BFF, to be his best friend forever. And so they land in Kansas City, and uh, there's, there's no rental cars, and so they go and they, they share a room for the night. They have to share a bed. Their wallets get stolen. They ride in the back of a pickup truck, are almost frozen to death. Uh, they travel in a car. One of my favorite parts is, is, is they actually light the car on fire, and the, the, the convertible roof gets burnt off. Everything on the inside is burnt out except for the radio. And so they have the radio themselves in this Arctic gear singing as they drive through Missouri uh, on their way to Chicago. But the point is, is they are doing anything that they can to get home for Thanksgiving. Some of you will be going home for Thanksgiving. Some, of, some people are already left. We have a lot of young folks that, that leave for Thanksgiving. But at the very least, you remember what it's like when you move out of your house, if you had a good home, to come back and how wonderful it is to come home for Thanksgiving, to sleep in your own bed, your own clean bed, to have real food for Thanksgiving. Today we're going to see Abram is coming home and all the wondrous things that come with that. Just to kind of review where we've been, uh, I actually remembered my laser pointer this week, which is so exciting because I didn't last week. So, um, Abram started here in Ur. He was born to pagan parents who worshipped idols, and by nothing that he had done, God called to Abram. And he called Abram to come to a land that Abram did not know where he was going to. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews exalts Abram as a man of great faith because he went and followed the Lord when he did not know where he was going. We know he was going to the promised land, which was Canaan, but he didn't know. And so Abram starts in Ur here, and he's traveling around the desert, and he travels up to Haran. And he gets stuck in Haran for a while. We're not sure exactly why, but he lives in Haran for a while. And the Lord continues to promise him to the promised land. And so he comes from Haran and he comes down to the promised land, to the land of Canaan, and he settles there. And so this is a reason why in Hebrews we say, we talk about why Abram is a hero in the faith. But last week, we looked at how this hero in the faith is also a failure in the faith. You see, Abram was looking at his circumstances and not at the calling of God. And he abandoned his call that God had on him when there was a famine. And he went down to Egypt where it was very fertile so that he could live, so that he could eat and drink. And he didn't trust in the Lord's calling, but he trusted in his circumstances and in what man could provide. And so he ran away from God. And he got mixed up in some crazy stuff, ended up prostituting his wife to Pharaoh uh, so that he could stay alive, so that he could have money. But now God has brought him back to Egypt. God has come to, sorry, brought him back to Canaan. God came into Egypt and disciplined Abram as a loving father, speaking through Pharaoh. If you remember, Pharaoh gives Abram this lesson on morality. He says, why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you give her to me? Don't you know better? Married couples are supposed to stick together. And then God prods Abram out of Egypt as Pharaoh's men escort him out of the land and back into the land of Canaan. Last week we talked about how some of us have run from God. We run from God to Egypt. 
And we're there and we pitch tents there and we make our home there. And we wonder, why do I feel so far from God? (laughs) It's because we have run from God, not because God has run from us. And the question that we're left with is, what is it like to return to the Lord? Or if you're here today and you're just considering God, you're considering what it would mean to have a relationship with God, what would it mean to turn to the Lord? And we'll see that here today in the story of Abram. In the story of Abram's return to the promised land. Return to intimacy with the Lord. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. It's on page 9 in your red Bible, if you have a red Bible. We're going to read Genesis chapter 13. We're going to read the whole, the whole chapter, verse 1 through 18. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites... And the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt and the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we open up your word, Lord, we come as people who do wander away from you, God, who rebel against you, who travel to Egypt and wonder why you feel so far away, God. Lord, remind us this morning of the gloriousness of returning into intimacy with you, God, of coming back 
according to Your calling, Lord. To walk with You. To live with You. To worship You. Help us with this, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. I'm still getting over a cough. As we look at this story, we see, again, Abram is returning to the Lord. And we might ask ourselves, if we've rebelled against God, why should we leave sin to return to intimacy with the Lord? Or why should we return to the Lord in the first place if we don't know Him? And there's a couple things that we see that are included when we return to the Lord. And we're going to look at it here in the story of Abram. The first thing we see is a return to worship. We covered this a little bit last week, but when Abram returns to the promised land, the very first thing he does is he returns to the place of worship. He he makes a beeline to where he once lived, where the altar of the Lord was established, that he could come back into communion, into intimacy with God. This was his deepest desire. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, And he, Abram, journeyed from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. What does it mean that Abram called upon the name of the Lord? Well, simply it means that he worshipped God, that he was calling out to God, that he was crying out to God. Certainly part of it would have been repentance. As he would have understood his sin, he would have understood how he has run away from God. How he has greatly sinned against the Lord. But part of it would have been praise. That even though in his rebellion, God had still blessed him, still poured out his promises upon him, still bore fruit in his life, blessing him with animals and with silver and with gold, but also praising God because he knew that God had never left him. You see, even though Abram ran to Egypt, Abram never ceased to be a child of God. This is such good news for us. For those who trust in Christ, for those who are God's children, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we continue to be the children of God. But like Abram, we're runaways, right? We're runaways children. But the Lord still loves Abram immensely. His love does not wane just because Abram runs away. You know, we read of a story in the Bible, many of you are probably very familiar with it. It's the prodigal son. And this teaches us how God responds to His children when they run away and when they return. You know, for Abram, there must have been the question, does God want me back? Are God's promises still true for me? Does God still love me? Because honestly, I ran away from Him. Has God now run away from me? Or does God still seek an intimate and joyful relationship with me? And we see throughout the Scripture that the answer is the same. And it's summed up in this parable of the prodigal son. It's a story of a boy who goes to his father and asks for his inheritance, basically asking his basically telling his dad, I wish you were dead. And he takes his inheritance and he runs into another land, into another nation, just like Abram did, and he splurges. And he whittles away all of his inheritance. And when a famine hits, he says to himself, what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. 
And I'll see if he'll hire me as one of his farmhands that I can eat again. And so he starts to journey back home. And the father sees him at the distance. And the question is, how will the father receive his prodigal son, receive his rebellious son? You see, what Jesus is illustrating here is how does God receive us when we return to the Lord? After we have turned our back on Him, after we have run away from Him, how does He receive us back? Will this Father hire Him as a hand? Let Him pay off His debt? Or will the Father just send Him away? And what we see is that the way this Father responds and the way that God responds to us is far greater than anything we could hope, expect, or imagine. And this is what Abram was feeling when he returned to the Lord to worship. Luke 15.20 tells us how God responds to us, how this father responds to us. It says, But while he, the prodigal, the rebellious, the sinful son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this is my son. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Do you know that is how God feels about you? It is a celebration when we come back to God, when we repent when we seek God, when we worship God, when we pursue intimacy with God. You know, I know there's hesitation and there's fear. I've done some pretty rotten things. You know, I, I don't know if God could really forgive me this time. I don't know if God really wants me back. But what we see is that as an earthly, heavenly father would love his runaway child to come home, God loves it when his children repent and come home to him. He delights in it. He celebrates it. And this is how God the Father feels about you. He wants you to come home. He wants you to call out to Him and worship and to grow in intimacy with Him. And so we see one of the things about returning to the Lord is we return to worship. We return to calling out to Him. We return to intimacy with Him. The second thing we see is that when we return to the Lord is a return to priorities. Abram had a good problem, kind of like we do. Abram's flocks were big. God was fulfilling his promise to him. His promise to bless him. And so Abram had many flocks, but God was also blessing those who blessed Abram, as he said he would. And so he blessed Lot. And Lot, his nephew, also had many flocks. And their shepherds were starting to get in fights because there was not enough water and there was not enough fields to feed all the herd. And so Abram comes to Lot. Look in verse 8 with me if you would. And let's see Abram how he handles this. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, brothers. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Abram gives Lot first pick. Now, to us, that might not look like very much. But for Abram, this was an amazing step of faith. You see, Abram had all the rights to declare what land he wanted. It was a land promised to him. Because he was the oldest, 
because he was the one called by God, and yet he surrendered all that. And he said, Lot, I will let you take the first pick, and you know what? I will take the leftovers. And you wonder, why would Abram possibly do this? And I think it's because God, through Egypt, had changed Abram's priorities. Abram learned some things in Egypt when he was wandering from God. A couple things. First off, I think Abram learned to take good care of his family. In in Egypt, he didn't do that with his wife. And now he's saying family is so important. It's a priority over financial gain. Secondly, he knew that God would take care of him. Just as God had in Egypt, he knew that the Lord who had supplied for all his needs earlier was going to supply for all his needs in the future. That God's promises were true. And so it allowed him to say, take your pick. But the third thing and most important thing is that Abram learned that no amount of riches compares to joyful, glorious fellowship with God. You see, before I think Abram would have been one of those guys who'd say, I'm going to take first pick. I'm going to pick the best place and I'm going to give you the leftovers. But something changed in Abram's heart. Abram knew that no amount of riches compares to losing fellowship with God, to losing to, to growing distant from God. See, when you grow distant from God for financial riches, it's always a loss. And Abram knew that. But Lot didn't. Lot was still searching for the riches of the world. We can see this in verse 10. And we can see as we, as we walk through this that, that, <coughs> excuse me, that Lot was continuing to pursue the things that Abram pursued when he went to Egypt. That Lot was running away from God. Look at verse 10 with me. I think we have a map up here as well. It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. You, see, you can see here, barely, uh, this is where Abram and Lot were. They were right in this area, right in here. And Abram offered Lot the left or the right. And Abram said, you know what? This Jordan Valley here looks very fertile. It looks very nice. And it was outside the promised land. And what we'll see is, is Lot will actually travel down by the region of Sodom outside of the promised land. And so he's pursuing the riches that the world has to offer. It goes on here. It says that uh, everywhere, he, he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. That is the garden of Eden, paradise. Like the land of Egypt, the fertile region which they had just abandoned God to run to. Verse 11 says, So Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, but Lot didn't. It says, While Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Abram gave Lot a choice within the promised land. If you can imagine them standing here, looking over the Jordan, he said, do you want to go to the left or to the right? And Lot said, no, I want to go this way. I want to go east. What's what's fascinating so far in the scriptures, through the first 12 chapters of Genesis, going east is symbolic of running away from God. We see when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, they go east. When Noah sins against God, he goes east. Lot says, I'm going to go east. I'm going to run away. I'm going to pursue the pleasures that the world has to offer and not trust in the abundance of God. You see, 
Abram and Lot had two completely different attitudes towards money. Two completely different attitudes towards treasure. See, for Abram, he possessed riches. But Lot was possessed by riches. Abram treasured God above treasure. But Lot treasured treasure above God. This is such a temptation for us. I think the American Dreams holds out this ideal of a lush Jordan Valley in which we would run away from God, but is a temptation to treasure treasure above treasuring God. Have you ever heard the story of the guy who found a $100 bill when he was walking? He found this $100 bill, picked it up, and was celebrating. Wow, I have this $100, as any of us would be. It would make our day. The man spent the rest of his life looking at the ground, looking for $100 bills while his beautiful world passed him by. This is a picture of what Lot is doing. He is looking for money while he's letting the beauty of the Lord pass him by. He has treasured treasure above treasuring the Lord. And so the question naturally for us is, do we treasure treasure more than we treasure the Lord? Do we treasure the things that the Lord gives or do we treasure the Lord above the things he do we treasure the Lord above those things? You know, for us there's some diagnostic things that help us understand this. You know, if you are looking for a job or if you are a student considering a, a occupation in the future, how do you make those decisions? Is it based on whether uh, it will bring you a lot of money, whether it will give you big bucks, or is it based on what the Lord has called you to do? I always encourage high school students, if you got paid $50,000, no matter what you would do, what would that be? And they'll say something, and I'll say, that's what you need to do. Don't base it on financial gain. Base it on what the Lord has called you to do. Follow the call of God, not the riches of man. Another way of diagnostic is even by looking at the Scripture's commands towards money. Uh, The Scripture commands us to tithe. This is for Christians, for those who trust in Christ, for those who treasure God, that we are to give 10% of our income to God's people, to God's church. That's not a very friendly thing for people today. It's not. It's somewhat controversial. But throughout Scripture, time and time again, it says God's people, people who are committed to God, people who God is committed to, are to give a tenth of their income to God's people. Now, I don't know who gives what in the church, and so this isn't targeted towards anyone in particular. But it's a constant reminder of what do we treasure? Do we treasure God? Or do we treasure treasure more than we treasure God? So, you know, it's funny because, like I said, I don't know who gives what, but some people will come to me and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't tithe. And I'm, I, I kind of shirk because it's a painful subject for me. I'm like, why not? And they said, well, uh, we just don't have money. Okay. And then, and then next day, almost always, hey, did you see my brand new pickup truck? See my brand new TV? You know, do we treasure the American dream more than we treasure God? You know, on the other end, I see people who are, who are very poor that are fighting to put food on the table that delight to give to the Lord because they treasure God more than they treasure treasure. And so what's the difference between the two? It's not whether they're poor or rich. It really doesn't matter. It's what they treasure most in their heart. Do they treasure God above everything else or do they treasure the American dream? Do they treasure treasure? One of the ironic things is the people that give 
the people that tithe, in my experience, are generous people. They actually give much more than that to missions and to church planting and to other things because it is a joy to give because their treasure above all else is God. And so with Abram, we see that his treasure was treasure. But with Abram, his treasure was God. And so it was a return to priorities for Abram. So he returns to worship. He returns to priorities. He also returns to abundance. Verse 14 says this, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be, can be counted. God is reaffirming His promises to Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, God called Abram out of Ur, and He made him these promises. While Sarah was barren, He promised to create a nation out of them. While He had no land to call His own, He called him to another land. And so here God is reaffirming those promises to Abram. And the question is, why does God have to reaffirm these promises? Why does God have to repeat Himself? Is it because it has changed? No. He has to reaffirm His promises to Abram and reaffirm His promises to us because we know that we had blown it. Abram knew that he had blown it. He knew that he had run away from God. And God reaffirms that while Abram is faithless, God is still faithful to His promises. And so He calls Abram to set his eyes upon the promised land, to set his eyes upon the Lord who's giving him the promised land. And then He tells him to explore it. In verse 17, he says, Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Now, what's interesting is both, both Lot and Abram lifted their eyes, it says. Commentators talk about this. Lot lifted his eyes to the Jordan Valley, to the forbidden cities, to go there and to pursue pleasure, to pursue sin, to pursue, to pursue riches. But Abram lifted his eyes because the Lord called him to, to look at what the Lord's abundance would be for him. When I was in elementary school, um, I, I, I made everything into a balance beam. Maybe you did, if there was a railroad tie, it was a balance beam. If it was a fence, it was a balance beam. If it was a balance beam, it might have been a balance beam. It might have been something else. But, And I still remember, you know, I, I wasn't very good. I'd fall off a lot. And one of my gym teachers... Uh, was telling us how to walk a balance beam. And they said, when you're walking a balance beam, you know, don't focus on your feet because you'll fall off. Focus at the end of the balance beam, and then you'll walk straight. This is what God was calling Abram to do. Don't focus on yourself. Focus on me. Focus on my provisions for you. God gives this same command to Christians. In Hebrews 12.2, it says... Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Literally, let us look to Jesus. Let us take our eyes from other things and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, just as Abram, in the midst of his failure, was to 
to, to focus, to set his eyes upon God. We in our failures are to set our eyes upon Jesus. Because Jesus is not only the how of our abundance, he's also the why of our abundance. You see right here in Hebrews 12, it tells us how do we receive abundance from God. And it is the cross that Jesus Christ took on our spiritual poverty. He took on our sin. And He took on our punishment, which was death, so that we could have the abundance of God that was due only to Him. And so that's how God shares His abundance with us. But the why is probably even more amazing. The why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus endure the cross? A painful, horrible death. Why does He do it? It says, for the joy set before Him. What was that joy set before Jesus? that He didn't have before the cross? Why did He have to go to the cross to purchase this joy? What would that joy would have been? The joy that Christ went to the cross for was you and for me. You see, we receive the abundance of God and the riches of God because we are God's riches. We are God's abundance. Ephesians 1 actually tells us that we are the abundant riches of Christ, that we are God's inheritance, that we are His joy. And because we are God's abundance, God can be our abundance. God can be our joy. Let me just wrap up with this. Both, both Lot and Abram lifted their eyes. Uh, Abram, or Lot lifted his eyes to the abundance that the world had to offer, and he got him in a heap of trouble. Abram lifted his eyes to the abundance God had to offer, and it led him to joyful celebratory worship, as you see in the last verse of this chapter. Let me, let, me, let me give you this story. This weekend, or this week, I'll be traveling to Kansas City for Thanksgiving. And, uh, and when I get there, uh, first off, the trip is long. The trip is hard with four little kids. It's expensive to get there. Um, but we go because it is always worth it to go. You know, we get there and we have this amazing Thanksgiving meal with cranberry sauce, with turkey, and then there's always the yearly risk, uh, you know, escapade where we, where, we, where we see who is the most dominant person in the world. We play basketball. We watch football. It is, it is a wonderful time. But to be honest with you, I can do any of those things here in Green Bay. The reason why I go to see my family in Kansas City is because they are my abundance. Not the cranberry sauce, not the basketball, not the football, not the turkey. My family is my reward. And so going there to see them is why I am there. Now all these blessings come with it, but they are my abundance. It's the same thing here with Abram. Abram was blessed by God. Abram was giving lots of financial riches. Abram was giving amazing land. Abram was going to be given this nation of children. But you see, the best thing for Abram, and the best thing for us, is not that we get all of these things, but that we get God Himself. We get intimacy with God. And that's why Abram ends this chapter worshiping God. That was his abundance. That was his treasure. And that is ours. We have so much to give thanks for. That God, our abundance has come and Jesus Christ died on the cross that we can be in an intimate relationship with Him. Let's pray. God, thank You so much that when we rebel against You, God, that You return 
that, that, and when we return to you, that you accept us with open arms, God. You are delighted to grow in an intimate relationship with us, Lord. Just as a child might run away from his parents, God. Lord, we pray that you would draw us back to yourself, that we would know the joy of intimacy with you, and it would transform our lives. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.